right, we're going through what is turning out to be a more involved series than I thought. Um, what last week we read from Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. This week we'll be reading from the same with an addition to verse 18, or from chapter 18 and verse 15. So if you have your Bibles, in which case you should always come to church with your Bible. If you are good at using your phone, that's fine. I still don't think there's any replacement for the printed page and because uh, it's kind of hard to take notes on the phone app. You can do it. I've done it, but uh, it's cumbersome. So, And then when you need glasses, it just is a mess. So anyhow, uh, we're going to be talking about ask for the old paths. And then below that, we're going to be talking about asking for the old paths specifically as it refers to worship. Okay, And that's what this is going to be about. We're going to be taking a look at what God means by the old paths. We talked about that last week regarding His law, regarding His commandments, uh, specifically to the, to the children of Israel under the Sinaitic Covenant. But then also through the Abrahamic Covenant of faith, which we are partakers of if we know Jesus Christ, we also, as Jesus, are, uh, are, are, are high, the high priest of our confession and the new covenant of grace has reminded us to keep His commandments also. And these are, as I believe, what God is referring to as the old paths. So if you'll find Jeremiah chapter 16, Jeremiah, or Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. So the book of Jeremiah chapter 6. And, it, and you probably should make it a habit, if you don't have it already, of highlighting verses in your Bible one of the things that I have of my dad's is his Bible over the years, and uh, uh, there was a segment in his life when he was very backslidden and not in church, but before when he was younger, he was very active and faithful in the church, and he had the same Bible his whole life, and whenever he would hear the pastor preach, whether it be in the church he was in or if he went to another church, he would take a note of, he would underline the verses and put a date out by the pastor who was preaching them. So I could see everything from the 50s all the way into the 60s and into the 70s. 80s got blank, okay, and then picked back up in the 90s. But it was pretty neat to see who, what brother, he would always, brother so-and-so preached this on, or brother so-and-so. I think that's a pretty neat deal. That's why I'm trying to make a kind of a living uh, testimony of my life in my Bible for my kids to use and my grandson to have so that they can feel encouraged when they read it. So if you have your Bibles open to Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16, in honor of God and His Word, let's stand. For those of you who don't have your Bible, I'm going to put it on the screen for you because there's this church about grace and all. Okay, Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. Thus says the Lord, Stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. And then if you will, flip on over to Jeremiah chapter 18 and looking in at verse 15. Because my people have forgotten me, they have burned incense to worthless idols, and they have caused themselves to stumble in their ways from, notice it says, the ancient paths to walk in pathways and not on a highway. Let's pray. Father, we pray, praise you for your word. 
We ask that you would instruct us from it. We pray for your Holy Spirit of God to speak to us, direct us into all things that Jesus said. Glorify the Son and make much of the Father as, Lord, we come to you as our God and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So two passages dealing with pathways, highways, the words forgotten, the words see, and to walk. This is what God is admonishing us to do in these passages of Scripture. And of course, the book of Jeremiah, also known as the weeping prophet, wrote these things down as God was preparing the nation for exile into Babylon because they had stopped walking in the old ways, which, as we talked about last week, meant that that infers there was some kind of new way that they took up. And the new ways never stopped coming. And we have to deal with that today. And that's what we're going to talk about today. The problem was with, with, with Israel as a nation, and the reason why they were in so much trouble all the time is because they had a very bad worship problem. They tended to worship the wrong thing. Okay? God revealed Himself to them in ways that you and I could only imagine and have probably oftentimes prayed for in rough, rough times. And they, they saw that. And still, they bowed down to images and funny-looking figurines with big eyes and big ears and big mouths that couldn't see, couldn't hear, couldn't talk. Because really, they're fig- these, these false uh, deities, they had big ears, big eyes, and big mouths, every one of them. It's just kind of weird. And they couldn't talk. I'm going to be taking the bulk load of what I'm saying today out of a book that I've been studying, and I would highly recommend it to you. I think it should be required reading for everybody going into ministry, but it should also just be something as a, if you want to be a good, sound uh, Christian, you should know what biblical worship is. This is for the glory of God from Daniel Block, and I'm going to just read a little bit. Daniel Block is an Old Testament scholar and is the Gunther H. Nodler Professor of Old Testament at Wheaton College in Wheaton, Illinois. He previously taught at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary at the John R. Sampy, as the John R. Sampy Professor of Old Testament Interpretation. Dr. Block has his uh, Ph.D. He got it in 1982 from Liverpool University and his uh, M.A. in 1973 from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. And he has a two-volume commentary on the book of Ezekiel, which is standard in the Old Testament scholarship. So I say all that to say he's someone that you can trust. He knows his stuff. I've listened to two of his sermons this week and two interviews that lasted 20 minutes each. I've watched it twice. And so, very, very dear and godly man. He's Canadian, and uh, he was raised Mennonite, uh, and, uh, but he understands the Old Testament inside and out. And so, with the things I'm going to be talking about today, we're going to be talking about in light of what uh, he has uh, drawn out in this work, for the glory of God, recovering a biblical theology of worship. I'm going to have to move kind of fast today, so bear with me. First, we have to understand what the biblical understanding of worship is. Most of the time, 
We approach worship from the word we use in English, worship, which is why he says if we're trying to develop a biblical understanding of worship, both the etymology and the usage of the English word are irrelevant. So don't let the English word worship as you use it inform you on what biblical worship is about. What matters is the vocabulary of the scriptures. That's what that's where biblical worship begins uh, and how the scriptures use uh, the words it uses for worship in general. And so although both testaments employ a wide range of expressions for concepts and actions associated with worship, they may be divided into three broad categories. And this is very important that you get this when you're understanding the, the approach that a church takes to biblical worship There are three modes with which we come, or three categories with which the Bible uh, tends to view worship. We're very linear. Whenever we say the word worship, automatically you go to music. It happens. That's what happens, okay? But in the Bible, we see these categories, which are dispositional expressions, which means worship as attitude. First and foremost, worship is, is primarily attitude, okay? Number two, uh, it's physical expressions, worship as um, gesture. And what I mean by that is, uh, you know, there's songs, JT, you probably know this one, we bow down and we worship you, Lord, we bow, but nobody's bowing down. We lift our hands, but no one's lifting them. Okay? We come to you with thanksgiving, but no one's really thankful. So gestures, and and if I could, uh, I would just like to say this just for demonstration of what's going to be further. It's called gentrification, and it's it's this idea of 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 where we get this idea of of, of our gesture, uh, and the, the, it's abad in Hebrew. But if there was a king, and I came into the king's presence, I would come in and I would begin to do this, and I would do this, and I would get down, and I may do this. And I'd get low. And there's an attitude saying, you are king. You can do with me whatever you want to do. I have nothing. Blessing, or you can kill me right now. But you're God and I'm not. <laughs> and so, the, if, if we kneel, we get on our knee. Okay, we used to do that football all the time for a game. Everybody take a knee. And then we'd pray the model prayer. Don't call it the Lord's Prayer. That's not it. Okay. And so we have these things. So there's this issue of gesture. And then there's what we call the liturgical expressions or worship as ritual. So if any of you come from Lutheran backgrounds or Catholic backgrounds or any what we might call high church, they have the liturgy which they perform. You have response stand at this time. You have responsive readings or, or you'll do certain things. And, uh, and all of those things are, are the, the modes and categories which with the Bible, it's under the word worship, okay? So remarkably, if not ironically, the words that are usually translated as worship in English versions have little to do with either praise or music, as I said before, that uh, is popular among Christians today. Now, I want to tell you a little bit. I asked JT to kind of help me with this some. <clears throat> we have to jettison this notion that worship equals music. We, we have to discard it altogether because it's not right. 
You say, but I like it that way. Okay, you have your feelings. But the Bible isn't concerned with your feelings. It's concerned with the glory of God. Okay? So that's the first thing. Music is a part of what we do when we worship, but it's not exclusive to it only. Big names in music. So most of the worship wars when I was starting out in ministry was, let's play what Hillsong sings. Only what Hillsong sings. And there were churches that had their their favorites. They would pick that or pick that group. And there's been a lot of things come out of Hillsong, but there's a docuseries, a three-part docuseries that's on uh, some of the channels on, if you have, uh, what is that, TV, uh, internet TV, whatever you call it. There's apps, okay. What do you call it these days? Anyway, so you can watch this, but this was a docuseries, three-part. This is about Hillsong. Things you should know, number one, Hillsong hasn't always been Hillsong. It used to be Hills Christian Life Center, and eventually the worship band became so popular that the church rebranded itself for the music. So do we see a problem? That's what happened. I mean, that's its history. Okay? Hillsong has somewhere around 25 registered LLCs in the world. Some things said by former Hillsong members along these lines. Hillsong uses its music as hooks to pull people in. People hear the message, then they go, uh, people hear the, the music from the church, then they go to the Hillsong con- Conference, and, and then maybe they'll go to Hillsong College. And really what this is for Hillsong is a very large money-making machine. Um, it is said that uh, they will oftentimes try a, a new song out in the congregation to see if there's an emotional draw, and then they'll put it out if there is, and they'll publish it, and they'll make it where they can make a lot off of it. And so some of the questions to ask is, am I connecting to the music because I'm having goosebumps come over me because the guitar solo is so well and it just moves me, or is this the Spirit of God? Because a lot of times people confuse those things. Because again, a lot of times people think in American Christianity that worship equals music, and you can tell when God's in it because you'll feel something. You'll feel this feeling and you'll, you'll be like, oh, you know. There's a, an emotional manipulation to what they do. And again, the whole thing about it is they're, they're producing their product or they're making their product to get your, your money. And I, and I say all that to say this isn't about Hillsong. It's about all of that, that view of worship. It's not exclusive to Hillsong. Bethel does it. Uh, uh, Wren Collective does it. Um, gosh, pretty much all the big names that you hear on the radio today do it. And what's happened is, among young evangelicals, when they go to a church, they want to hear the band play what they hear on the radio. And they don't understand that if you have a, a, poor, a poor understanding of biblical worship, you're singing about what you want God to do for you, rather than who He is. It's very backwards, and it's also very dangerous, and it's very misleading. And I want to just say, here's our, our liturgy for what we follow here at the church, and we do have one. Our structure of worship that, that JT has, has brought in follows this. God, or it's, 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 it, our structure of worship is the gospel. It's God, man, Christ, response. 
God, man, Christ, response. God, we read a psalm magnifying God and then sing a song specifically magnifying who He is. In man, we read a passage about confession, spend time confessing sin, sins. And then in Christ, we read a passage about the work of Christ and sing songs that talk about that work. And then in response, invitation at the end, uh, we don't have an invitation in the, in the typical sense, but what we do is we have a time where people can meditate on what Christ has done in the gospel for us. That's what we follow. This isn't about us making ourselves feel good. This is about us making much of who God is. How about the biblical meaning of the word worship? As I said before, there are Hebrew ones and there are Greek ones, okay? There are three main Hebrew words for worship in Scripture. The first two, yare is how you say that one, and then abad. We see both of these happening in 1 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 24. Only fear the Lord, that is yare, okay? And serve, which is abad, serve Him in truth with all your heart. For consider what great things He has done for you. So when we, when we talk about what, uh, what's involved in worship... We see Yare and Abad not just here, but we saw it back at the Sinaitic Covenant when it was made, and what God was asking, how, how God was expecting the nation to respond to them, to Him. So fear the Lord and serve Him. This is forefront to biblical worship. You fear the Lord and you serve the Lord. The third is the finest one of all to say, Histaawa is how you say that one. And it occurs in Isaiah 49, 23. Not exclusive to there, but in one place. And it says, Kings will be your foster fathers, and their queens your nursing mothers. With their faces to the ground, they will bow down. Histahawa. To you. And lick the dust of your feet. Then you will know that I am Yahweh. Those who wait for me shall not be put to shame. And then again in Psalm 95, 7. Oh, come, let us prostrate. Histaawa. We, we talk about the word prostration a lot. Histaawa and bow down. Let us kneel before Yahweh, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. So I'm going to ask this question attitudinally. When we approach church, when we prepare to come to church, first, do we prepare to know that we're about to go to the house that we've designated for God, and do we come bowing down, or do we kneel? Now, honestly, there are, when you go to foreign airports or any airport, there are signs of people kneeling, and that's for the Muslim prayer rooms, generally speaking. But biblically speaking, worship has never been divorced from prostration. Although some of us may not be able to get up, okay, just so you know, this idea of getting low before your God, bowing down, kneeling, I, th- I think some of it's just a reaction to, to us as, you know, uh, Baptist, Protestants, whatever, from, the, from, from Catholicism with all the kneelings and this and that. And, but we have to understand, as the Bible views worship, The very first thing it's concerned with is reverence to God. Which is why we bow down. 
kneel before our king, which is why we lay out sometimes. I, I have to demonstrate this sometimes, but uh, when you read your Bible, especially Old Testament, but even in the New, and you're reading how they're talking about worshiping, and it talks about them laid out prostrate. David laid out prostrate as he was praying and under agony. Do you know what that looks like? It looks like this. Have you prayed like that? Because when you're here and you're praying, you're demonstrating something with your body. That God is, is the one lifted up and most high. And that you are low. If you've never drawn near to God on your face, excluding the fact that you have some physical limitation, then I would suggest you start trying it. Let us prostrate and bow down. Let us kneel before Yahweh. For He is our God. Notice in any of these things that we've just read, there's not one bit about music. There are three main Greek words for the understanding of worship. Proskuneo. Okay? Proskuneo is the most prominent word for worship in the Scriptures. And of the six Greek words for worship, this word is the closest in representing worship. Worship in English. The most precise and consistent definition of this term is to, and you're going to love this, worship or to prostrate. I bet some of you are like, just get into the New Testament. We can get up again. No, you can't. No, if you just get in the New Testament, you just can't stand up. You're still on your face. So, real quick, Matthew chapter 2, verse 2. And you don't have to, if you're slow and turning, just let me lead. So the wise men from the east come, and they, and they came uh, to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and have come to worship him. Proskuneo, related to its Hebrew, histahawa. Get low. Bow down. That's what it means. Okay? And then in Revelation 3.9, Everyone's like, oh, cool, Revelation stuff. Well, look here. In Revelation chapter 3 and verse 9, it says this uh, to the church, to the faithful church in Philadelphia. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. They are going to prostrate themselves. They are going to get down. They are going to histahawa. I think you get the idea that the main word when we hear it, when we see it in worship, for the word worship in the New Testament also means to bow down, to get low. Why would we need to do that? Because he's God. And we've gotten a little too cozy with our images of God. Now there's another word, latruo, and it means precisely to serve in a priestly and or a sacrificial manner. The noun from Latreia is also sacrificial and priestly in sacrificial service to God. And we see this as just what uh, J.T. prayed while ago in his prayer in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. 
says this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable truo. This is the way you worship. It's, a, it's, in a, uh, it's to serve in a precise way. This begs the question, well, anybody can come just and worship God. Anybody can, any way they want to. No, they can't. No, 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 they can't. And we'll see that in a minute. And then there's another word that I want to talk about. Um, I always practice these and I get them mixed up, but uh, letergeo, we get our word liturgy from it. But it means specifically to minister in an official manner. In the scriptures, this word refers to public civil acts of service. And we find this in Acts chapter 13 and verse 2. And Acts chapter 13 says this. And they, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, this was the, the church. It says now in the church there were at Antioch there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. But notice it uses the word, as they ministered. And this is where we get our word, liturgy. They did it in a very prescribed way. And they did it publicly together. So this was where we get our words. We get low. We come before God in a sacrificial way, in a priestly way, and we come with means that are official, that, that Christ has empowered us to come with. So we have to have a right heart when we do that. We don't come presumptuously. We don't come because we like the song. Oh, the music's cool, man. That's a good church. Really? What are they preaching? Definition of worship then. True worship involves reverential human acts of submission and homage before the divine sovereign in response to his gracious revelation of himself and in accord with his will. I'm going to read that one again. Okay, True worship involves reverential human acts of submission. So we talked about getting low. Sometimes you'll see people come to the altar and pray. Sometimes they're all laid out. Sometimes they're raising their hand. Their heads are bowed oftentimes. Okay? These are human acts of submission and homage before God as sovereign in response or because of His gracious revelation of Himself in Christ to us and in accord with His will. In Psalm 89, we see a little bit of this fleshed out. If you'll turn with me there to Psalm 89, verse 5 through 8. And the heavens will praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness also in the assembly of the saints. For who in the heavens can be compared to the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened to the Lord? And notice verse 7. God is greatly to be feared, Yare, in the assembly of the saints, that's us together, and to be held in reverence by all those around Him, O Lord God of hosts, 
Who is mighty like you, O Lord? Your faithfulness also surrounds you. You rule the raging of the sea when its waves rise. You still them. So what we see here is an example of how this works out for us in the church. As the attitude in which we have when we come to worship God. So then we get into acceptable worship. First, true worship is essentially a vertical exercise. The human response to the divine creator and redeemer. For this reason, the goal of authentic worship is the glory of God. Now, notice this is important. Rather than the pleasure of human beings. Never, ever, ever choose your church based on their music that comes out of their instruments. Base it upon their view of God in the scriptures. Now, you may like what you like. I have what I like too, but what I like more is God. Okay? Not our own pleasure. Which means the forms of worship should conform to the will of God rather than to the whims of fallen humanity. We see all kinds of things happening today. I don't think I have to say that aren't in keeping with bringing glory to God, but are really showcasing, showcasing the talents of, of men and, and women. I, and I just want to stop there just a second. I'm trying to hurry to, to get done here, but when we come together as the church, it's JT's job to minister in, in, the, in, the, in the song portion of our worship service To us in the congregation, we sing together, right? We lift our our voices together. If, If you go to a worship service that's designed for them only to sing, you become a spectator. Songs like that are great. I, I can, I mean, I'm going to date myself. I can only imagine. We all know that by mercy me, remember? Doesn't work for congregational singing. We can't hit those registers if we sit on ladders. Okay? But it's, it's the way that it's written. The reason that JT chooses the songs that he chooses, the reason why the hymn books work so well is because they're written with the congregation in mind to join together They can sing and we can lift our voices to God and declare His greatness. If all you're doing is watching a concert, because there's no way you can touch, they have too many octave changes, they have too many changes in the song, it's too complex. That's not about the congregation, then it's about them. That's why we do what we do here. Because our job is to lead you to worship, not to showcase our talents. And I don't really have any, I can, you know, but I'm saying that's why, that's why we do what we do. Second, knowledge of the nature and forms of worship that glorify God uh, comes primarily from Scripture. What we do, what we sing, how we sing it, it all has to be informed by Scripture, which brings me to this slide, the two views of worship. This is going to be a little confusing, and I'm going to come back on this next week, so, but... There are, there's this word called regulative and normative. This is the, the words that we get. The regulative principle of worship maintains that Scripture gives specific guidelines for conducting corporate worship services and that churches must not add anything to those guidelines. 
For example, churches following the regulative principle in worship often do not use musical instruments since there is no New Testament command or example that would warrant their use in the church. And then there's the normative. This comes more from the Lutheran side of things. Martin Luther talked about this. The normative principle is the idea that anything not expressly forbidden by Scripture can be used in corporate worship. It doesn't mention electricity, so we can have, you know, microphones. One of the foundational differences is that the former considers the Bible's instructions as a strict code of conduct, while the latter sees them as principles to follow. Both hold to the truth of God's Word, but they differ on whether or not it it clearly establishes an unalterable blueprint for corporate worship. So you think, well, what are we? We have instruments. Well, David played the, the lyre, lyre, harp. He, pray, he played stuff, okay? They had stuff. There was tambourines going on. We know that the Bible has instruments, right? Here's the point. Both the regulative and the normative are really just first cousins to each other. They love each other very much. They're both concerned about the glory of God. What we see today, though, in what we call modern evangelical progressive, forward-leaning churches, they don't belong to either one of these groups. They're a different animal altogether. They don't even ask those questions. So, what are we? Somewhere in the middle, I don't know. We're doing, we're doing the best we can with what we've got. I think we're doing okay. We'd probably be more regulative than anything. Uh, because even JT has limits on what he wants to see done with the music. We don't have, we will not have uh, interpretive dance. Because t- Travis will not do it. Okay. He, I'm just trying to see him, you know. But we won't be doing that. We won't be using chalk art. We won't be doing any of those things in our worship services. Here's why. We really don't have a biblical precedent for those at all right? We do have instruments. Electricity is a good thing. Jesus used the, the landscape to project his voice, so we understand all these things. But it's about God and his glory as it's revealed in Scripture. Now, in Psalm 24, 3 through 5, we have this question, who may stand and worship the Lord? This is who can come and worship. In Psalm 24, 3 through 5, who may ascend into the hill of the Lord or who may stand in his holy place? This is the question. Who can come and worship today? Now we're talking about engaging God in worship, right? Not presumptuously. Well, he who has clean hands and a pure heart. Don't you think you ought to repent if you got stuff undone before you come and try to sing praises to God because he isn't going to receive it. Number two. He who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully. So don't come praising God if you worship something else that you love more. He won't receive it. The person who comes with the clean hands and a pure heart, who has a singular view and allegiance to Christ, he shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. That's what the Bible, that's what the Bible's very regulative of us. But that's what the Bible says, right there. Ephesians, or I mean Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 actually says something a little more stronger. Walk prudently when you go to the house of God. That means as you're even getting ready to come to church, 
check yourself before you wreck yourself. You ever heard that? Now, it's hard sometimes, I know. We don't always make it. Thank God for grace. But don't assume on it. Walk prudently when you go to the house of God and draw near to hear. Did you notice that? Draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that they do evil. Let that sink in. Do not be rash with your mouth. And let not your heart utter anything hastily before God. For God is in heaven and you on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Why? Why? Because you're coming before the King of Kings. The Lord of glory. In Deuteronomy chapter 10. This is what God requires of the worshiper. And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear, Yara, the Lord your God? Do you hear it? Do you see that? What's at the top of the list when it comes to worshiping God that God wants? Reverence. Do you reverence Him? Is what you're seeing around you in the church you attend reverential? Or is it about fluff? And skittles and rainbows and, and, and just sugar and all the bad stuff in your diet. Don't go there. God says what to have. Fear the Lord your God and walk in His ways and love Him. Serve the Lord your God, Abad, with all your heart and with all your soul. And keep the commandments of the Lord and His statutes which I command you today for your good. That is what God expects us to come when He talks about worship. Micah 6.8 says the same thing, essentially more condensed. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So worship then if you think about it, is a very frightful activity of privilege that God extends to us who come with the right attitude. It's not about a keyboard or a guitar or a drum set or these things. These are tools that we use and we have biblical grounds to, but they should never take center stage from the one who owns all things, God. They can aid in it little more than a good pen can help me transmit writing better than a pencil can. But it's all about God. No massive guitar solos, no massive drum solos, nothing to make you feel something. If you're going to feel anything, it better be from God. And when it is, you will leave closer. And it won't be a passing fancy. God's going to make a dent in your life. So evaluate all that by what the Bible has to say about what worship is. So worship is our life. When I wake up, when I pray, when I look at my tomato plants that look a little tall for what they should be, I praise God stuff grows. I praise God for the home that He's given me. I praise God for the blue sky because sometimes it just looks... Blue's my favorite color, and it just is so brilliant that he made that. Sometimes you ever watch just a hawk 
just kind of glide and how it floats. And you know how a structure of his bones is made. And God made that. When you look at your little grandson or granddaughter and you see how God made that. That blessing. Our life is worship too. But first and foremost, it's an attitude. It's not music. Just like evangelism doesn't equal decisions. Worship doesn't equal music. It's just a component. When I pray, I'm worshiping. When I'm fellowshipping with you as brothers and sisters of the Lord, this is worshipful. Because we're praising God we can. We're demonstrating it. So it's not exclusive. If you should ever go, and I was telling JT about this, because he brings it up in the book. Uh, he was guest preaching at a church, but the music minister stopped and said, we are going to interrupt our, our worship now to read from Scripture. Okay, so if you're not singing and you're reading from the Bible, you've stopped worshiping to read Scripture. See, that's how warped we've gotten. And we have to recapture that. So, in, a, in accordance and in keeping with worship, since this is Corporate Prayer Sunday, here's what we're going to do now. We're going to worship God by praying together. That's what we're going to do.